You ready? Yep. How about you? Yep. Start it up. East Tennessee and broadcasting from the BRV studios, this is the Big Red Band with Wade, Hayden, and Malcolm. As usual, we start the show with Have You Heard, our segment where we bring up random news and crazy events with a lot of topics you've probably never heard of. For instance, have you heard about Amazon's testing delivery to your car? Or what about meth and how hard it is to differentiate from donut glaze? What about scientists' new discovery of trillions of tons of gold? All that and a whole lot more. This is the Big Red Band. All right, man, here we go. We got episode 25. Is this silver? Like, what is 25? Uh, it is, I think. Didn't we say that last time? I don't know. We thought about it. We we mentioned it, and we never looked it up or checked I think it. it's right, though. Silver, 25. I don't know. It sounds good. 25th anniversary of, a, of anything is cool. Maybe someone will tell us if we're right or wrong. I don't know. Hopefully, somebody will tell us anything. But here we are, 25th time that we're coming together trying to come up with some interesting stuff to talk about we call it have you heard i say we jump in you ready no i want to say something first say it i want to make sure everyone knows that it is a really good thing if you want to just type in the search bar on your itunes podcast app and just type in the big red van uh then whenever you find us and click on us go ahead and hit that write a review button select the five star option and then just say something nice yeah, I mean, something like from Michael, green means go. He left and said, love the variety of topics that nobody will ask about, but everyone wonders. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks. So that's our third. How about it? Let's keep this up. Let's keep this train rolling. Yeah, so if you're, if you're listening out there, you know, just give us a little give us a little love. We'll, give, we'll give you some love. Promise. Everybody, have you heard? All right, man, did you hear about how this old guy disrupted LaGuardia Airport in New York City? LaGuardia? LaGuardia. That's a big damn airport damn to, right to disrupt. Is. Yeah, damn okay. right. So can you imagine two terminals in LaGuardia being down? Well, they got like 600 there or something, though? Well, I, I would imagine every airline flies into LaGuardia. But two terminals down for over, say, two and a half hours because 70-year-old John Park became unconsolable over his $50 checked bag fee. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, just literally couldn't handle it when the Spirit Airlines attendant told him, $50 for that bag, sir. So this guy freaks out, and he decides to tell this lady that there's a bomb in the bag. Oh, no. There's a bomb in there! Uh, you can't say bomb on a plane. <laughs> you can't say bomb on a plane. Bomb, 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 bomb. bomb. <laughs> Bombardier. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy just flips out, prompts immediate evacuation of two terminals at the airport, calling the bomb squad, right? So the bomb squad quickly responds, obviously finds no explosives in the bag. Authorities trying to keep all passengers current with what's going on using their Twitter feed. Like, I would freak <laughs> out if I was at an air- airport trying to get to a terminal, and I got a Twitter message that said, Terminal A is unaccessible at the moment. And that's all it said. And I oh, saw God. and I saw police everywhere. In New York City, I would flip out. Oh my God. <laughs> flip out. So he's plea pled not guilty at his arraignment. He has no he was released without bail. 
So obviously the judge realized that he's an asshole, so he's just gonna find him for being a grumpy old man, probably. What's what is the what's the crime of like running into a theater and yelling fire? Well, it's different than that and running into an airport and yelling bomb. Well, it, but I mean, like a false a false warning, I guess. I, this you is know? a terroristic threat, was what God. they said. I don't know. <laughs> of course. I'm sure it's going to be a fine more so than jail time. Was he Libyan? <laughs> no, he was... His name was John Park of Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Old old man. So, anyway, I was recently in the Orlando airport, and they didn't have the body scanners going. You know what they had? The dogs. Oh, it was, okay, dogs. They're yeah. just walking through the entire Was it beagles? Airport. No, they were... They looked like uh, retrievers, like labs. Oh, okay. But they walking through the airport with with the cops, just just walking by you while you're standing in line at security, going to your get your ticket, and then as you're going through security, lines were some of the longest lines for security I'd ever seen. Granted, Disney World, you know, prime time, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the lines for security were crazy, but they wanted to move them through, so you just got to walk by a dog. You don't have to go through this body scan or anything. When you get to the part where you're supposed to take your shoes off, your belt off, empty your yeah, pocket, yeah, yeah. all that shit, you leave all that on. The only thing you do is you just run your bag through the scanner, but you don't have to take anything off because the dogs are, you've already gone past the dog. That's a little, uh, wow. <laughs> it, not what I'm used to. No, not at all. It was the first time that I'd ever seen that or personally experienced that. You know, when we traveled with our kids, we got to go to the front of the line and the kid, they don't make the kids go through the body scanner or anything. You they just don't want to give them the cancer. Yeah, not the kids. <laughs> Salvage them the radiation. But yeah, it, it was it was interesting. It was definitely n- different, I guess is the word that I'll say. But for me to think of an old man screaming, BOMB! <laughs> man, the chaos that would have happened in that place with all those people there, mm-hmm. that would have been... Everybody, have you heard uh, that an employee with the Cameron County, Texas Juvenile Justice Department is facing theft charges in a case involving fajitas? Fajita, fajitas, fajitas, fajitas. <clears throat> What'd you do with them there, fajitas? Mistel, uh, mistel. <laughs> I said fajita. Uh, you're messing me up, <laughs> Mister Gilberto Escamaria was let go back in August after it was discovered that he had arranged delivery of 800 pounds of fajitas from their county food vendor to... Uh, His not, house? <laughs> uh, basically. Just, just take it over to Gilberto's. So his scheme was that he was using the county checkbook, basically, to buy fajita meat from the food distributor that the county used for its cafeteria and jail kitchen. Okay calls up Gordon's Food Service and right. he's like, yo, I need some of that Fajita meat. Exactly. But he got uh, busted when somebody noticed on the food order that there was fajita meat being ordered, which of course is not on the menu at their office cafeteria or especially in the jail kitchen. <laughs> Damn it. They ain't feeding them fajitas. Come on, man. Uh, but... So he was even using the distributor's delivery delivery service to drop the orders off to the customers, you know, his quote-unquote customers, the people that were buying all this meat from him, basically. So he's got a black market fajita service. Yeah, literally. <laughs> probably selling to all his friends and family, like, oh, yeah, I'll get you 10 pounds. He probably, for- he probably had a food truck that got shut down by the health department <laughs> multiple times, <laughs> and he's probably got some people that just need his fajitas. That- I'm telling you, man, some people, the schemes people come up with. And some people only know one thing. 
and this <laughs> guy knows, knows fajitas. some fajitas. So check this though. He'd been doing this for nine years. See? One thing. <laughs> <laughs> With a grand total of stolen fajita value of one point two million dollars. Oh my god. Can you believe this? From the county's checkbook. He worked there for nine years. For no nine one, years. No one caught this. Had been stealing fajita meat off the food order that he, I guess, was in charge of making. And just Gilberto. And then also having them drop it at another place. So the new normal food order would come, get delivered, get sorted, done everything like a normal day. But there was also. A, a side order of fajita meat that was dropped off at another place. <laughs> Nobody ever figured it out. And then all of a sudden, somebody's like, why does the bill say faj- this, like, 40 pounds of fajita meat? Why is it just fajita meat? <laughs> no, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm assuming... He, and uh, I'm Do you assuming, think he had, like, a, a tortilla guy? <laughs> like, somewhere else that he was no, getting? No, he bought those legitimately. Okay, yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> um... But yeah, whenever they busted him, he just confessed all of it. Didn't fight any of it. Man, that's great. Gilberto. Gilberto. Everybody, have you heard? That Larry Flint is offering $10 million cash to anyone with, quote, impeachable dirt on Donald Trump. (laughs) Did you hear about this? Who? uh, Larry Flint, who is that? So Larry Flint is the repulsive publisher of Hustler Magazine. Oh. (laughs) That was so... So graciously and awesomely portrayed by Woody Harrelson on the, in that movie about oh. Larry Flint, the People versus Larry Flint. Oh, okay. So yeah. you never saw that? No. Nope. Yeah, never Woody Har- Woody Harrelson. It plays, Love me some Woody Harrelson, but he never plays seen that one. The, him and I don't know this. This we should probably put it up as a Twitter poll question: Who plays a better Hollywood dirtbag? Woody Harrelson or Billy Bob Thornton? Billy Bob Thornton. You think Billy Bob? Oh, Billy Bob can do Bad Santa. It doesn't get much dirtier than that. Kingpin. Well, you're right, but <laughs> but Bad Santa. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have video, but anyone that's seen the movie knows what I just did. So Larry Flint takes out a full page ad in the Sunday edition of the Washington Post, stating that he would give anyone ten million dollars cash if they could give him the smoking gun. That would impeach Trump. You know who's probably going to take up that offer? A lot of people. Trump. <laughs> yeah, that, whoa, wait, wait, I can get 10, more, 10 million more dollars? That's the correct answer. <laughs> so he goes on to state his case as to what Trump has already done, but also inviting anyone who could give specific info. Specific, you know. It's not just anything, and it's got to be specific. One of the things that he said was, um, he's going to get a lot of information that he's not going to have to pay for. And mm-hmm. it's going to be some of it that's going to be total crap, and there's going to be some of it that will probably have some truth to it. So anyway, he probes for anyone with info about uh, Trump's taxes, maybe backroom deals that he's made in the past, or of, cur- of course anything to do with or about any possible ties with Russia. So there will be someone sitting by a phone taking anonymous calls Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. for the next two weeks. (laughs) Now, Larry Flint's done this kind of thing in the past. Now, as a magazine publisher and anyone that's a history buff, go back and read uh, the histories of 
the newspapers in this country and then kind of what those people were able to control. When you control the mm-hmm. media, you control the people. Of course. And Larry Flint totally understands that. Even though he's a smut magazine publisher, he understands the power of the media. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> he called upon the public back in 1998 um, – Bob Livingston was running for Speaker of the House against uh, Newt Gingrich. Newtie and the Bobfish. <laughs> she turned me into a newt. She turned me into a newt. To come forward uh, with any evidence of illicit sexual encounter with Livingston. Livingston lost, by the way. <laughs> I could imagine. In 2007, he offered a million dollars for the same kind of dirt um, on anyone in Congress. And in 2012, he offered another $1 million for anyone that could produce Mitt Romney's tax returns. So he's done this thing, this in the past, but $10 million is by far the most that he's ever offered anyone. He went on to say that he fully expects to get some useful information, quote, within a couple of days. And then he said, and this is in quotes, I don't think you can live as recklessly as Trump has over the last 30 years and not leave some baggage along the way. I can't think of something more patriotic to do than to try to get this moron out of office. Everybody, have you heard? Uh, Florida. You ready? Here, I got my Florida. Florida. I got my Florida one. A Florida man has received thirty-seven thousand and five hundred dollars after the cops arrested him when they mistook donut glaze for meth. Oh my god. <laughs> In 2015, See, back in the day, the cops would have just <laughs> tested it and been like, "No." Nah. I, I okay. So I had a lot of questions, and I'm going to answer all the questions that I had. <laughs> um, in 2015, the Orlando police officers pulled over Mr. Daniel Rushing, 65, uh, as in his age is 65. Got it for uh, speeding out of a parking lot of a 7-Eleven. That they had been currently. Seven Eleven. I wish we had those up here, man. They're awesome. There's by a Seven the Eleven around here. There's one in Loudon, just like there's a Piggly Wiggly. Of course. Um, <laughs> Rednecks. The, the um, but he was speeding out of a Seven uh, Eleven that they had been monitoring for drug activity. So, an officer um, arrested Rushing when he stopped, um, or when she had spotted a rocky white substance on the floor of his car. The white around your lips. And he was like, no, it's definitely not drugs, officers. I don't have any meth in my floor. Uh, he kept telling them that, that. He even told them that that's glaze for my donut. <laughs> okay, he said this to them when he was on the side of the road. Was it a donut from like six days ago that it hardened into a replica of it a was crack just rock? A, a Krispy Kreme regular donut. You know, glaze special. Um... They first said that it was crack cocaine, and then they said, no, it's it's meth. And so the officer, Corporal Shelby Riggs, uh, she administered a series of roadside drug tests, you know, like where they put it in the little baggie and crack the little thing, and then mm-hmm. they tap it, and it's, oh, it's blue. Yep. It's blue. It's meth. Coffee. You know? I don't know what's so difficult about that process, but they didn't do it right. They literally, like, cracked it and said... Um, they they apparently couldn't get a definitive answer, and so two of them turned up for cocaine, and but not definitively. But they, two of the officers there said, "Yeah, it looks like cocaine," and then the other one didn't get a read, and so they're like, "Well, we're just gonna have to arrest him anyways and take this into the lab." Holy shit! Yeah, so they arrest him anyways. Um, 
he spent hours in jail, uh, but then was released on a $2,500 bond. But then later, when the, the lab test came back, um, it turns out he was telling the truth, and the crumbs had been glazed from a donut, is what the officers had in their evidence bag. So uh, what did the police do once it was come back that it was donut glaze? Um, they did reprimand the officer, um, who a week later actually just resigned. Um, yeah, you're never living that shit down. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can like bust into an apartment and shoot yourself in the foot and get made fun of as an officer for the rest of your life but and you live, live with this it. Down. <laughs> no. Like, I mean, on that movie Goodfellas where the guy's getting out of his car and he's got a hoagie wrapped in tinfoil and they b- mow him down because they think that it's a gun. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Eh, maybe. <laughs> Man. Um, so he sued him over this. Um, yep. And he got his $37,500. That's it. That's it. Um, I guess... I, don't, I mean, you know how they come up with those numbers. It's, I guess, however much he makes in a year or something, and who knows. But the reason he sued is because nobody would hire him. Because it was, even though he got expunged, it was still on his, there was an arrest record for him. You Google his name, and it shows his mugshot and him arrested. Man. And so he's obviously pissed off about that, because he can't get a job. Because anywhere he applies, first thing they do is... Google him. So many things wrong with that, dude. Mm-hmm. That's just... Can you imagine being that guy, though? Can you imagine legitimately just having donut icing on your floorboard and then getting taken to jail over it? <laughs> because you've got cops back there that are like, Yep, it's Coke. It's, oh, no, man. It's, it's crystal meth, dude. <laughs> and then they're like, even... And cra- you're like, it's fucking icing. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it in your mouth. Oh, my taste God. It. Taste it. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. That would be... Everybody, have you heard? The Amazon wants in that trunk. In that trunk? In that trunk. What does that mean? You heard about this? No. So, doing what Amazon does best, they scour the world over and see who they need to buy or partner with to take one more step towards world domination. I've heard from a couple people, and now I've read in print, Hayden, that Amazon is reportedly in talks with a company called Frame, P-H-R-A-M-E, which is the maker of a smart license plate frame that serves as a storage box for your car keys. Oh, that's cool. Like, like it, you can keep an extra set in there? Yes, like, say, your trunk-only key. The yeah. one that only opens the, tr- the valet key that yeah. only opens the trunk. Uh, this would allow for delivery people to access your trunk while you're at work, wherever, so packages just aren't sitting out. So now they're going to be able to come to you wherever you are, and just put the package in your trunk as opposed to leave it on your front door. Whoa. Okay, so let me just recap here. You're talking about there's a license plate attachment that has like a thing that only the Amazon driver can open. Correct. To get your keys out, to unlock your car, put your package in your car, and then lock your car back. No, no, no. The key only unlocks your trunk. Oh, okay, okay. It but doesn't either, get into way. any other part of the car. Well, like I'm a hatchback, so it's in my car. Right. Okay, got it. <laughs> but but you know, but that's what you mean, though, right? Correct. That's freaking sweet. That's exactly what I mean. All right. So, you think they're going to stop there? They're going to bring it into your job for you. <laughs> have you ever listened to this show before? <laughs> they are also working on a, a company with a smart doorbell that will give delivery personnel one-time access to your home. 
so that they can leave the package inside the house. Ooh, what's the background check on that look like? I don't know. Man, but Amazon versus Walmart battle is getting heated. So you remember just last episode, I talked about Walmart's 30-second return thing? Remember that? Mm-hmm. So that's a week ago. feels like a week is forever with these two companies nowadays. A week goes by, and they are, like, changing the freaking world when it comes to retail. Mm-hmm. So Walmart is partnering with a company named August, that just like the month, that has the same, quote-unquote, smart home technology that Amazon is trying to use uh, with the doorbell. Walmart is going to do that specifically with grocery delivery. So they're trying to get the company to let me get into your house and they'll probably even put the shit away for you. I'll, <laughs> like, I'll put your groceries in your pantry. Rotate and, the stock. Yeah. <laughs> we'll check expiration dates and all that. So who knows? Following the trend, dude, I mentioned last week that the growing uh, realization that saving people time is just like saving people money. Dude, could you imagine where you just literally open up an app, pick up your pick out your grocery list, or hell, you know, with Alexas and all that shit these days, you could just, like, put together your grocery list as you run out of things by just mentioning it to it. Dude, how many stoners are going to be sitting on their couch while the delivery groceries come? Alexa, order hey. Cheez-Its. <laughs> hey, dude, while you're putting away my chips, will you toss me a beer? Oh. <laughs> you got your guy in there to delivering your groceries, putting them away, and you're just sitting your lazy ass on the couch. That's what it's going to come to. That's... If that's I, if what that's it's going to really, come to. If that's really where it's going, that's just incredible. Dude, when I was... I'd say this thing about time. Did I ever mention to you the study that was on the Japanese daycare? Oh, yeah, I yeah, about, to you the, about? about the... Uh, the fines for picking your kid up late? Yeah. So, the daycare used to... Uh, they didn't have this, pl- this uh, policy in place where it was just very strict that you had to pick your kid up on time mm-hmm. or they were going to be sitting outside waiting. Like by themselves, kind of thing. Yeah. Just like anywhere else. You don't pick your kid up from school on time. They're sitting out there while their friends are getting on the bus or leaving or whatever. Yeah. Kid feels embarrassed, right? You as a parent feel bad because, like, oh shit, my kid's waiting on me. I don't mm-hmm. want to be that parent. So that was the policy that was in place. As a psychological experiment, they changed it to where they would then fine parents for being late a certain amount of money. Well, they saw in the three months following that policy change that there was a huge spike in the amount of parents that were late picking up their kids because they realized that they would much rather live without that money than have to rush and be on time. And it was guilt that was driving them to be there on time to pick up their kid. And then now that they've got the money, the choice of money, the time is now more important to them than the money. Mm-hmm. And they can have that time with themselves or whatever to where they're now not rushing to go get their, to get their kid. So it's funny that little psychological aspect of saving people time mm-hmm. and the amount of money that we will put towards it. I've always thought about it when it comes to businesses of convenience, whether it be hotels or gas stations or anything that is a convenience. The amount of money that people will pay con- for convenience is insane. It really is. Everybody, have you heard? All right, so I hadn't gotten in a little nerdy in my in my HYHs, so I'm going to go a little nerdy this Ooh, week. We've missed it. So, um, a recent study has shown that uh, the modern people of Europe and Asian or Europe and Asia, their ancestry um, carries a little bit more Neanderthal DNA than we had previously realized. Oh, so if you are not aware of this, elaborate. So. 
about 1.8 to 2.6 percent of basically any non-African person. Um, that DNA is uh, Neanderthal DNA. Okay, um, which we can, of course, we cl- uh, get samples of from Neanderthal skeletons that we find in caves. And Correct. Places. So um, that corresponds to about ten to twenty percent more than what we thought, um, or than our previous estimates from like the Human Genome Project and things like that. Okay. So, um, and what they also were able to figure out with this uh, study was that many of the um, uh, the the genes that we got from them are actually things that cause um, a lot of disorders in us. Like, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, schizophrenia, high cholesterol, things like that. They're able to track those genes back to that? To, to the Neanderthal DNA. That so they, they have. didn't... Those, those mutations in the genes did not start until that DNA was introduced? Is what you're saying? No, I think it's the... You know... Our genes are crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the same part that controls your hair color can also determine some other crazy part of your body as well. Right. But basically, the uh, the parts that we got from Neanderthal are also things that are in, this, uh, in the parts that affect those other diseases as well. Okay. I follow. So, basically meaning that a lot of the things that we actually got from Neanderthals are, like, susceptibility to those things. Okay. So, anyways, basically, that's why we uh, we were more susceptible to those things, is that little bit that we got from Neanderthals. But they got this study, um, or the way they did this study is they were using a the the Neanderthal uh, subject they were using was a fifty thousand year old woman um, that they had found in a, a cave in Croatia. Um, and then they also used a hundred and eighteen thousand DNA samples of Brits, so hundred and eighteen thousand people, Europeans, just like modern day, okay. as their control as their group, um, and then compared that with the DNA of that Neanderthal, and that's where they came up with this. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Relationship between okay. the association, yeah, between people with those diseases and how much Neanderthal DNA they had. Okay, um, another little addition, and to they that, went for Eastern Europeans or Western Europeans. Yeah, right, 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 right. So that that's could, where Neanderthals are from. Europe. Yep, yep. That's in the fossil record. I'm trying my best to follow this as as closely as I can. You're good. Sorry, <laughs> I know I went a little nerdy. Um, but then, what's cool though? Another little thing they came up with was. Um, a st- one part of their study showed that children with no Neanderthal genes had low rates of sunburn. A child with one gene variant from their parents was about 25% more likely um, to have an, a sunburn incident in their life. And then children with both parents that didn't have a Neanderthal or that had a Neanderthal gene were 50% more likely to have a severe sunburn incident. So like all their pigment and everything had something to do with how much like even totally white people is what I'm also meaning here. I'm not meaning like, you know, if you had 2% of Neanderthal but you were still African American, which is unlikely, right. but still you could that could be the case. But even white people that had only that had no variant of Neanderthal gene were less likely to get a sunburn. Right. But people with one variant 
were 25% more likely to get a major sunburn and people with both mother and father having the gene variant in them, you were 50% more likely. Hmm. So like, even if you were still just a totally white person, like which you were still just that gene change made you that much more or less susceptible to getting a sunburn. So I, all that stuff honestly is fascinating. And I, I was being serious when I said I'm doing my best to follow along. I really was. But my question becomes, why study those types of things when it comes to genetics? Like, what about the human genome project? Do I give a shit about Neanderthals having rheumatoid arthritis? Medicine. All, all this, the more we know about genetics and the more we know about how our bodies work, the better medicine we can make and the better we can make our lives. So that's, genetics is huge right now. Like the leaps that we've made forward in medicine and vaccines and things like that. And you've got to know where you came from to know where you, to how you, where you are now. Exactly. I suppose. Exactly. That makes sense. I mean, I'm just, again, Neanderthals with arthritis, bent over, carrying wheels. That's why they had arthritis. So, um, it's genes. It's good genes. So really, like I was saying, a lot of our uh, human diseases diseases link back. So um, thanks, great, 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 Grandma, you such a hoe. You're a hoe. Everybody, have you heard that the Oracle of Omaha? Do you know who the Oracle of Omaha is? I've heard that, but I have no idea. You don't know? I think I've heard that before, but I don't know what it is. Give me a guess. The Oracle of Omaha. It's a person. A name. Very, uh, very rich person. Walton? No, I don't know. Warren Buffett? Oh, okay. All so right. Warren Buffett, is, and you've heard of Pilot Flying J, of course. Well, yeah. All of the... This is kind of big time local news here in Knoxville, but also very national because it's got the name Warren Buffett mm-hmm. associated with it. Warren Buffett's buying Pilot Flying J. Uh, Excuse me? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, well, buy, that, he's buying... Well, how much is it worth right now? That's oh, a great question. Well, they have a yearly uh, income of about 20... but really yearly revenue of about $20 billion. So let me get into that. So I said that he's done it again. This man, honestly, he might be the smartest guy in the room. And I mean like any room. Any room that he walks into. He's the smartest guy in that room. Okay. And... Earlier this month, Berkshire Hathaway, which is his company, acquired major stake in the truck stop company of uh, Pilot Flying J, and they will take over a majority stakehold of it within five years, meaning they purchased 38.6% of the company already, and by 2023 will own an 80% stake. Now, Pilot Flying J is a company that has 750 truck stops spread over 44 states and Canada. It is the 15th largest company in the United States, according to Forbes. It employs over 27,000 people and, like I said, has revenue yearly of over $20 billion. Now, Pilot J is owned by the Haslam family. We know that name here locally very, very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Tennessee Governor Mike Haslam and then people of NFL fame or NFL fandom are going to know that Jimmy Haslam, just recently in the last few years, bought the Cleveland Browns. So he's now the owner of the Cleveland Browns. He used his oil money to buy the Cleveland Browns. So Mike is uh, out looking at is looking at outgoing Senator Corker's uh, seat. You know, he's eyeing that spot Mm -hmm. in the Senate, 
and Jimmy's sitting back lighting cigars and drinking brandy while they just take in this money. It's it's crazy. Berkshire Hathaway has over $100 billion in cash to use as Warren Buffett pleases. Now, I've listened to him recently over the last year and a half give a couple lectures online, and he states that his role these days is merely to, quote, allocate capital. That's really all he does. He has plenty of smart people running his companies, and he just decides to write the checks and which deals to stay away from. So, I don't know. Do you remember the whole uh, scheme with Pilot? Yeah, the the something to do with the oh man, like rebate system. Rebates, that's the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, so he's he's so smart. Like I said, he knows which deals to stay away from, when to get in, when to get out. He's a long-term investor. Warren Buffett has never invested in anything looking for a short turnaround. I'm talking within 3 to 5 years. He's always looking for a 15, 20, 30-year payoff. And even at his age, he knows the payoff of this company. Mm-hmm. Pilot Flying J, for those who might not know that's not around the area, they had a big thing happen in the past year and a half where the FBI raided their corporate office, taking files and doing everything that they could. Um, they'd been running surveillance on them for a while, where Pilot had to pay out $85 million to defrauded customers and another $92 million to the federal government. The, uh, the FBI had found audio tapes of Pilot Flying J Brass talking about how dumb truck drivers were and how they didn't deserve their rebate money for any of this. <laughs> so over 175 That's how you lose a lawsuit real quick. 175 million dollars later. Um, and then down public view of the company and uh, revenues down, things like that. So like an eagle, in comes Warren Buffett to say, I'm going to buy low, and I'm going to sell this thing high. I'm going to sit on this for 20 years. Like I said, it's the 15th largest company in the United States right now. Wow. And Berkshire Hathaway also owns Geico. They also own BNSF Railroad, among 90 other companies. They own Clayton Homes here in Knoxville. Really? Warren Buffett owns Clayton Homes. Wow, I did not know that. Dude, he owns... He's going to be one of those eight companies that owns a percentage of the world. Like, you'll be getting one of your your services from one of the eight companies is one of my famous sayings mm-hmm. on this show. And Warren Buffett, his companies will be one of those. Berkshire Hathaway will be one of the companies you get your goods and services from in the future. They'll just own everybody. Wow. If you get the chance, listen to Warren Buffett talk. He is so simple, yet so complex. It's incredible. When I went to school at University of Nebraska, my parents lived in Omaha, which is where he's from. And rumor has it that he bought his house in Omaha for like $38,000, something like that. And him and his wife still own it, and they still live there a majority of the year when he's not out like doing his stuff. Bought it for 38000 in the 60s or the 70s. Wow. Still lives there. Smartest, smartest investor that of our time. Everybody, have you heard? All right, I got one more nerdy one. Get it. Okay. This one's really cool just because of what it gets to at the end. So bear with me a little bit here. Um, so does it, if you guys don't know what gravitational waves are, and I bet you don't. Um, so last year, the scientists basically built a gigantic device. Um, not a gigantic device, but a device that spans over a great distance. There was a receiver in Louisiana and a receiver in Washington. 
And what they did was they waited basically just all the time for a gravitational wave to hit, um, which a gravitational wave is just a quite literally a ripple in space time that is shooting outward from a major gravitational event. And it literally is warping space slightly. I mean, like the tiniest little right. minute event, you would never notice it touching you. But one hit us back last year. Who knows how many hit us all the time? But one hit us last year. That they were able to measure. And they were able to measure it. Okay. So then they're like, holy shit, you know, and they're freaking out about this. They're like, oh my God, this thing works. And they were able to confirm their data. And so they're like, okay, well, where'd it come from? And so they start busting out the telescopes and trying to exoplanet pin, pin, pinpoint where it came from. No, no, no. We're talking about a big gravitational like event. a super blue giant. Like um, it's called a. Uh, it was two ultra dense cores of two dead stars collided together. So just a big mashup of gravity hit another big mashup of gravity. Okay, mm-hmm. and. This was just super cool. They were like, oh my god, that's like super cool. I think there's there's a few other things I'm pretty sure that can produce gravitational waves, but this is the thing that did it for them. And whenever they, what was also cool is once they figured out where it came from and they started looking at what was around it, they, they turned up a treasure trove of things that were just like instant discoveries. So one of them was where precious metals come from. So that's if nobody knew this, but it actually is unknown, at least until now, where like all the elements like 40 and above come from. Uh, Like, for example, hydrogen and helium were around in the Big Bang. And then like lithium to boron, which is three through five, is made in regular stars. Carbon and nitrogen from exploding stars. And oxygen to rubidium, which is eight through 40. Is from really, really big stars exploding. But they didn't really have any evidence of anything else of where the other ones came from. And it's because of things com- like big combining? Things. Yeah. Huh. Like, well, if so. Like knocking boots? Basically, if you could imagine, a star is knocking the boots. When a whole lot of hydrogen balls together, when it gets really hot and starts smashing down on itself, two hydrogen atoms get smashed together and become a helium atom. Right keep smashing them then eventually you get a, a lithium keep smashing them and eventually you get a up to a boron you know the more and more pressure the heavier and heavier the atoms or the harder they get smashed together until they start forming new elements right that's what fission is or i'm sorry fusion, fusion is right <clears throat> and so basically but they didn't know basically a normal star's physics wouldn't make the heavier elements so we we're like well where do they come from you know, we never really had a definitive answer. And then by them being able to measure that wave. Well, when they started pointing the telescopes out there and seeing what came of it. So this is actually pretty cool. So all like they were able to point out like a whole lot of radioactive heavy elements that are all like not made in normal space that we are aware of. But one of the really cool things they found was the amount of gold that was formed out there during this was Almost a hundred times the mass of gold that's on the earth. I'm sorry. Let me even repeat that. I even said that wrong. It's even bigger than that. It's almost a hundred times the mass of the entire earth, not the gold on the earth. What? 
the mass of the Earth? The, as in, okay, we, we witness this big smash together out there. We start pointing the telescopes. We're doing spectral analysis of all the things that are in that area. And what we discovered is that there was enough gold produced during that big smash-up that produced that gravitational wave that is almost 100 times the mass of the entire Earth in gold. So, now, gold gets its value because of the supply of it, correct? It's rare, it's inert, and it's the best conductor of all the elements. That's why gold is valuable. Okay. So the uh, rareness makes it valuable, but its its abilities of things that we use it for, coupled with the fact that it's rare, is what makes it so valuable. If it. gold didn't have a good use, it wouldn't be as valuable. It'd be silver. Right. There's there's a reason silver is less expensive than gold, but they're not really that much more rare than each other. It's just that gold has more uses. Interesting. Your cell phone has a lot of gold in it. My mouth's got a lot of gold. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But is that not crazy, no dude? They like they see this big thing smash, and they're like, "Let's go look at it." And they bust out the telescopes and start studying it, and they're like, "Oh, whoa! Look at all the silver, gold, platinum, uranium, like all these heavy radioactive elements that we don't know where they come from. They obviously just came from this big smash." And then that's awesome. That's and, and so that's where they come from. Well. Everybody, have you heard? I got something about gold, too. Pretty cool. So there was $1.8 million worth of gold found in Swiss wastewater. Wastewater? Wastewater, like at water treatment facilities. So, like, somebody cracked open the filter and was like, what's what's all this shiny stuff? I don't know. Gold member. I like gold. <laughs> um, after a study on some of Switzerland's gold refineries, scientists discovered that around 43 kilograms of gold, or $1.8 million worth, passes through the wastewater system every year, ending up in treatment plants and then gone forever. It, now, when Exiting you say... Exiting the refineries. Oh, okay. It's Exiting from the gold refineries. Now, so when they're running 70... the water down the tray like the Wild West... Yeah. That water's that washing some of the gold down. Basically, you know, like bow water, hammered shit, right? <laughs> you notice where bow water is located? Right on the river. Right on the river. So a lot of their waste just goes out, whatever their water is used for. It's just rinse water, whatever water. It just goes out. So my question is, is how many people are down there with their sifting pans at the uh, where nobody the, where touches the, my liquid where gold? The, where the pipe comes out now? Get soon as this news broke, I'd been like, honey, we're going down here to get get this gold. Get your pan, honey. <laughs> get your pan and your waders on, girl. So the study involved 64 water treatment plants across the country of Switzerland. Um, and the ones that were nearest gold refineries yielded the most findings. So about 70% of all of the gold in the world passes through the refineries in Switzerland on any given year. Oh, that's why. So the need for some sort of recycling idea seems a tad necessary, you know, of the water that's coming out of there. Three, Especially if it's – well, here's the question. Is the device that is going to fix this worth however many years worth of uh... – Lost gold? Well, dude, if it was some scientists (laughs) that were able to conduct these studies themselves, you'd think experts with proper equipment would be able to just trap it on site. Surely we can make some sort of filter. So they also found about 3,000 kilos of silver worth about $1.7 million just going down the drain every year. 
That's three and a half million dollars worth of gold and silver that they can get out of their wastewater. That's crazy. Insane, dude. Absolutely insane. Everybody, have you heard? I'm sure by now everyone's heard about the wildfires going on in California, right? Oh, yeah, man. That, sh- that shit sucks right now. So right now they're wreaking havoc on the wine industry, among other things. Man, isn't it like, like 30 people have died from this already? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the time that the, I've read an article about all this, uh, it was at 15 people had died. And now it's updated since the data that I got it's from like, this article. I feel like it's 30, or close to 30 with like a lot missing still. So, Which is what's real scary. Since last Sunday, more than 17 separate fires have totally destroyed. And this is me just talking about wine country, okay? So these stats and these numbers are not talking about all of the damage that it's done. But 17 separate fires totaled, totally destroyed close to 125,000 acres of land in the Northern California wine country. Um, at least 15, 15 to 30, if 30 people have died. Dozens, if not hundreds, are are hurt or missing or in the hospital. Well over 2,000 homes, resorts, and as I mentioned, vineyards totally destroyed. So Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Rosa are where people mean when they say wine country. You know, when you're talking to them, they say wine country. They're talking about Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Rosa. Yeah. (laughs) So over 475 wineries with 34 grape varietals that contribute around $13 billion to local economy. Every year. Just local economy. Okay? Those three areas. Not to mention what they ship out. $50 billion to the United States economy from from wine country. Just from those three 475 wineries, right? So far, at least eight of those wineries have been greatly damaged or completely destroyed, including a winery called White Rock Vineyards, which is one of the oldest in all of Napa Valley. So luckily, the fire came at the end of the grape harvest, and around 90% of them had been saved to the point. But but there will be serious consequences long term, you know, because of this. It's burning down the whole field. But um, the fires are crazy. It happens every year. It seems like there's always these crazy wildfires out there, man. It's just, I mean, I, I, I hope the best for them, but it's another reason why living in East Tennessee is one of the greatest places in the country. I think that's it. That's though. all I got, man. That's all I got. Holy shit, we're done? That's it? It's 45 minutes, though. Yeah, that's a we good episode. <laughs> that's a good episode. We're missing Malcolm for another one. I didn't mention it at the beginning. Busy dude. Yeah. He's, he's going to catch up with it's us on this. It's for good reasons, He's going to be on the pick it's segment. It's good reasons, though. So. We will uh, catch up with you all on the pick segment. Thank you for listening. Catch you on the next one.